Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Jason Falls, and we're going to explore influencer marketing strategy. If you've been thinking about influencers, you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode. By the way, want to reach me? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And by the way, are you new to this podcast? Hit the subscribe button. I've got an amazing lineup coming your way. Lastly, if you're on Clubhouse, be sure to follow the Social Media Examiner Club. And me also, I am at Stelzner on Clubhouse. All right, let's transition over to this week's interview with Jason Falls. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jason Falls. If you don't know who Jason is, you need to know who he is. He's the co-author of No Bullshit Social Media, and he's a digital strategist at Cornet, a B2C marketing strategy and creative ad agency. His brand new book is called Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand. He's also host of the Winfluence Influence Marketing Podcast. Jason, welcome to the show. Michael, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Super awesome to have you, man. Today, Jason and I will explore the importance of influence and how businesses can benefit from influencers. So Jason, you know, you and I have known each other for a very, very long time, but I would love for the people that don't know you to hear a little bit about your story. How'd you get into marketing? How'd you get into influencer marketing? Sure. So um, I guess it to, how did I get into marketing? I've got to go back to when I was a kid. I grew up in in the shadow of my mother, who was the editor of the local newspaper. And then uh, she and my stepdad started a quick print company. So I've always been around, you know, printing, advertising, marketing, communications, writing in some form or fashion. And so when I was 14 years old, I was tired of mom leaving me a list of chores to do uh, when I was in the summertime, when I wasn't in school. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go get a job and I marched myself into the radio station and said, I want to be a DJ. And they put me on the air. (laughs) Wait, when you were just a teenager? Yeah, I was 14. And and, I mean, I was in a small town in eastern Kentucky. So it's not like I was marching into, you know, WNEW in New York or anything like that. But, you know, I was, you know, pretty smart, enterprising kid. I had a pretty decent you know, voice, or at least I did. I faked it back then until I actually developed a decent voice. And yeah, they they hired me and said, we can teach you how to run the board. We can teach you how to you know hit the buttons and spin records. And and so I, I was a DJ in high school. 
And so I, you know, kind of rode that wave, majored in radio television uh, as an undergraduate at Moorhead State University, got sidetracked for a while by sports. uh, But that's really what got me into PR and marketing because I was a, I worked in the, in college, I worked in the sports information office. So we kept stats at all the ball games and, and my boss, the sports information director, you know, ran the the media press row at the ball games and the football games and whatnot. And uh, so I learned how to be a PR guy for sports and college athletics. And I did that for 15 years, actually, before I ever got into mainstream marketing, advertising, PR. And when I did, it happened to be in the mid 2000s when brands were starting to ask questions about blogs and social networks. And I had played on these things personally for years and just kind of knew the environment. And so my boss at the agency I was working at at the time, said, man, if you can sell it, you can do it. Start throwing ideas out there to the clients and see what they like. And I had a couple of clients who were ready to jump into social media. And so, you know, the rest is kind of history. I just started doing it and had something to say about it. So I started blogging like everybody else did. And um, I was actually, your uh, writing white papers was uh, a blog and a website that I followed a lot back then because I fancied myself a copywriter to a degree. And and so I started my own blog and kind of used some of the inspiration that you gave me there and eventually became known for blogging about social media. Well, and I have to inject a little bit of my story connected to your story because you were heading up a track at Blog World in 2009, I think. And you helped me get a slot speaking there and introduced me to a whole bunch of people back then, like Scott Monty from Ford Motor Company, Frank Eliason, who was with Comcast Care. So you were very instrumental in helping me, a guy who knew literally nothing about social media, begin to understand all this stuff. So thank you so much for that little boost in the beginning. Well, you're, you're very welcome. I remember, I mean, I was really kind of flattered and honored that you reached out to me because, again, I'd read your writing white paper stuff. So I knew who you were and I thought of you as a thought leader in, in that little niche. And so right. when you reached out to me, I was like, holy crap, Michael Stelzner's reaching out to me. This is neat. And so I was like, yeah, let's get you you know, on stage at Blog World and whatnot. And I was happy to make those connections. I, I, I do that kind of naturally anyway. I'm kind of a natural born networker. And so I was I was glad to do it and, and you know, Obviously, your you know your success with Social Media Examiner blew right past me, uh, w- which is fine. I was really happy for you, uh, but yeah, to, to have a small part in, in in your success is really just kind of fun. So um, yeah, and so many of the people back then are, have moved on to different industries, right? Mm-hmm. So connect the dots on the influencer side of things. So continue the story on how you began to get into influencer marketing because that's going to connect us and bring us kind of up to the present, right? Sure. So you have to, I think, probably first know that I think of influencer marketing in a much more broad fashion than most people do. And, you know, I was a PR guy in college athletics for 15 years. And when I came into the mainstream advertising marketing world, I was a PR account manager at Doe Anderson, the agency that kind of brought me out of the college athletics world. Public relations, media relations is influence marketing. In 2005, most of the influencers were, you know, traditional media, you know, people, radio folks, mm. uh, television reporters, you know, magazine Editors. writers, newspaper yeah. reporters. Yeah. Um, and, and that was about the time blogging started to emerge. And so I was sort of in the middle of that thinking, okay, here's this new media influencer that's different than a little bit than the traditional one. Um, And so because my roots are in PR, I just kind of naturally fell into that role of, okay, well, if we want to reach audiences of people um, and there are 
uh, people on blogs and social networks that have audiences that are in very niche topics that are relevant to our clients, then we've got to start figuring out how to work with them. And so I was kind of right in the middle of it. And just my training as a PR guy walked me right into a role as an influence marketing person, even though we weren't really calling it back then. So what are you doing now? So now uh, I actually just got a new title this week, kind of to coincide with this book and everything. My boss said, I'm going to well, want to change your title. You're now our senior influence strategist. And so basically I'm a digital strategist at an ad agency. I help our clients figure out how to translate their messages and connect with audience through the digital space. And that might mean, you know, owned content, you know, creating blog posts and white papers and, you know, seminars, webinars, social media content. It might also mean a little bit of earned media. So I kind of lead up our public relations team and our influence outreach team. And then a little bit on the paid side, even though we have a media team that's much more adept at that. So I work with with them don't necessarily lead the paid media stuff, but the owned and earned stuff typically falls under my, you know, sort of purview. And we've got a nice team of people that executes on that. But I try to come up with the strategies to help our clients figure out how to use those earned and owned channels, which may include traditional media, but may also include, uh, you know, influencers as we think of them today. So those that have been paying attention have noticed that you have uh, used the word influence instead of influencer. <laughs> yep. So um, why influence? Why do you call it influence? And why should marketers uh, focus on influence marketing as you might define it however you choose to right now? So I really feel like the word influencer biases a lot of people, and it's a couple of different reasons why. The primary one, though, is is anytime you see the mainstream media talking about influencers, they typically have a, a tendency to kind of paint them in a negative light. They think of them as the people who take selfies and take pictures of their food, and they, you know, fake these weird, extravagant lifestyles to gain followers. Instagram ruined it, didn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Instagram kind of ruined it. For everybody. But there's actually, um, even right now, there's a documentary on HBO called Fake Famous, where Nick Bilton, the former New York Times technology writer and current contributor to Vanity Fair, did this experiment where he took three random people who wanted to be famous and he basically bought them followers to see if they could be. And one of the three actually, you know, stuck with it and emerged and started getting brand deals because she had so many followers, but they were all paid for. They were all bots. And so it's documentaries like that that actually, you know, look at one little sliver of the influence marketing world and paint it in a negative light. I started to think, wait a minute, we've got to start rethinking how brands and businesses look at influencer marketing because just the word influencer and just the term influencer marketing kind of biases people to think, well, I don't want to work with superficial people on YouTube and Instagram that aren't going to help my business. And so we've allowed ourselves to get painted into a corner. And so my philosophy or my theory rather here that I'm proposing in this book is we've got to pull back and take that R off of the word, reframe how we think of it and call it influence marketing. Because when we do that, it broadens the horizons a bit. Because if you focus on the action, on the strategy, what are you trying to accomplish? You're trying to influence a group of people. You're not trying to influence a group of people, right? So let's not focus on the channel. Let's not focus on the noun. Let's focus on the verb and what we're trying to accomplish. And if you think of it that way, now all of a sudden you can say, okay, well, how do I influence this audience? Well, it might be through advertising. It might be through public relations. It might be through traditional media. It might be through new media. It might be on Instagram and YouTube, but it also might be in political lobbying or community relations. Now all of a sudden you're looking at driving influence through whatever means 
uh, will accomplish the goal with the audience you're trying to reach. It might be online, folks, but it might be offline too. I love what you said. Take the R off of influencer and reframe it as influence. That is a tweetable <laughs> quote graphic if there was one ever made here, because I think that is so cool. So why should businesses, why should marketers consider influence marketing? Like what's the upside for the business? Well, the reason that brands should really care and your business should care is because there is a huge gap that is continuing to grow between where people get their information and where, especially about products and services and where they used to get their information. Uh, I think it was the 2019 Edelman Trust Barometer. Uh, the, the, the statistic was that 74% of people do not look at advertisements. Right. So we, we know that there's uh, an attrition rate on on advertising messages and people actually consuming them. That same year in 2019, 63 percent of the respondents said they trust influencers for product recommendations. Another study said that 58 percent of people admit they have bought products based on what an online influencer has recommended. So basically what you have here is you have these the signal amongst the noise of all the online noise that's out there. The signal that is emerging is not necessarily traditional media outlets and journalists. It's actually these Instagrammers, these YouTubers, these people who have big followings on Twitter or LinkedIn who are saying, who have a an audience that trusts them for their opinions on certain things, particularly on products and services within their sort of area of expertise. And so, yeah, there are some influencers that are the superficial, just drive all the followers and take pictures of themselves on crazy vacations. But there's an entire world of influential content creators out there that has created, you know, audiences that love them and that respect them and trust them. And when they recommend a product or service, their audience takes action. And so you're having a much more effective, uh, you know, outcome when you invest in influencers, even online influencers, as opposed to just looking at it broadly like influence marketing. I certainly would encourage you to broaden that horizon. But just limiting yourself to online influencers, you're having a much more effective and efficient way to get to audiences, especially when you consider that a lot of these influential people online have very niche audiences. So now you're weeding out the, the you know, the 75 percent of the people who aren't going to care and you're getting down to a 100 percent of a smaller group of people who really do care and trust that influencer for their opinions. Yeah. So what I'm really hearing you say is people don't trust ads and that means they don't trust some of the messages coming from you business brand X, but they do trust people, certain people. And if those people happen to have the audience that you want to be in front of, that's an opportunity. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly what you're hearing me say. The, the concept that I talk about in the book is surrogation. And right, it's it's kind of the 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 psychology behind ratings and reviews and looking at online reviews. We do not have the opportunity all the time to experience these products or services ourselves. And so we surrogate that experience by going to people who do. So an influential person online who uh, reviews tech products and gadgets and whatnot, we surrogate our experience to them and say, okay, this person likes this product, then I should consider that for the next purchase that I make. Or if I'm looking for that type of product, I'm going to go buy that 
specific model and brand because I have surrogated my experience through this person whose opinion I trust. And so it absolutely is about a person. Although I, I would argue that brands can become influencers too, but that's a little bit more of a nuance that you get into as you, as you, you know, dive deeper into the book. Okay. So let's talk about what is an influencer then. I mean, I think it's a logical next question, you know, I feel like I'm an influencer, even though I don't try to be an influencer. (laughs) I don't know if I am or if I'm not, but, but what is an influencer? Let's talk about it a little bit. An influencer in my definition is very simply anyone who can persuade an audience to take action. And I'm not putting any limitations on any of that. So the two people having a conversation about a product in front of you in line at the grocery store may have influence over your decision, depending upon, you know, their tone of voice, their body language, what they look like. I love that. I was in a Best Buy and I told someone, hey, uh, they were looking at a bunch of products for Wi-Fi mesh networks. And I said, this is the best one. I have it. It works great. So I was an influencer right at that point, right? Ex- exactly. You were an influencer in that context, but you also have a website, social media examiner and a podcast that have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that engage with that content. So you are someone that a lot of people trust. They trust you because you're bringing you know, expertise to them uh, for their business around social media and digital marketing. And you bring a great perspective of having uh, gained all this knowledge of talking to all these people over the years. And so, yeah, you are influential over a lot of people. And the way that you probably uh, sense that and know that is because people like me reach out and say, hey, I've got something interesting to say. Could I come on your podcast and talk about it? Right, right, right. <laughs> are those two ends of the spectrum, if you will, the, the the person in line versus the person who's got a rather large following on whatever medium? Is that kind of the range? I would actually extend it a little bit further because beyond the online influencer, you've got celebrities. And and I treat them a little differently, a little separately than online influencers. I feel like the difference between a celebrity influential person and an online influencer influential person is that the online influencer basically got their influence and got their credibility by intentionally creating content on social networks. Celebrities get famous for something else. They get famous using typically the traditional sports, music, um, right? Yes. Sports, music, television, acting, et cetera. They're famous for some talent or some skill in some other venue. If they also have a lot of followers online, that's great. They do have online influence as well, but they have online influence because of something else, not because of the content they created here. So I know when we were prepping for this, you said you had a couple of examples that you wanted to share of some maybe influencers that would help bring this home. I know one of them was somebody in Boston or something like that. So you're probably thinking about, I actually, it's actually in the United Kingdom. Um, it, it's my example of my, my favorite influence marketing example of, of a single influencer that had an impact on a company. Okay. And, uh, and so this is in the United Kingdom, uh, the company UBS, the financial services company, one of the things that they deal in mostly is annuities. Um, and so these are, you know, big, you know, $100,000 investments that are basically retirement savings accounts in a, in a, in a very short form explanation from someone who's not a financial expert. But so they sell annuities. And so they were, you know, looking at opportunities to get the word out about their annuity products and, ta- and sort of teach the, the market in the United Kingdom about annuities. 
And so they found a gentleman by the name of Martin Bamford, and Martin Bamford worked at a uh, sort of an accounting firm, and he had a podcast. He didn't have a lot of followers on Twitter. He didn't have a lot of YouTube followers or anything like that, but he did have a podcast that had, you know, a few thousand downloads a month. It was a modest, you know, small thing. But he did have a target audience for uh, UBS that was very appealing. It was people who were interested in financial content for you know personal financial management. So they had an executive that they pitched to Martin to be on his podcast. It was really the only thing that they did in this particular regard. So Martin had this, this executive from UBS on his podcast. From that one podcast appearance, UBS actually tracked a 4X a multiplication in leads to their website, uh, asking questions about annuities. Four so times bigger than normal. Is that what you're? Four saying? times bigger than normal. So they they basically you know jumped up four times what they normally get because this guy appeared on a single podcast. But it was a single podcast that had influence over a very hyper targeted audience that was interested in that particular type of personal financial product. And so just a stroke of brilliance to say, hey, we found this one influencer who's going to have an impact and it actually worked. Got any others up your sleeve? Oh, I've got a ton. Where do you want me to go next? (laughs) Just pick anything. I mean, anything, maybe something you've done with the agency that you work for. So, yeah, let me let me tell you this one, because this one, I think, illustrates there's, you know, how influence marketing can really come to life as opposed to influencer marketing. So uh, the University of Kentucky healthcare system, so local hospital system is, you know, it's the trauma center, the indigent center, and of course, the cancer and heart, you know, research uh, hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. We at Cornette, we did a, uh, a new camp, we were launching a new campaign called We Are Proof for them. And part of the kickoff for that campaign was a two minute brand film. We were going to launch this on Facebook. And so the challenge that was given to me and my team was how can we get the maximum, you know, organic exposure to this, this film? We knew we were going to launch it on Facebook. So it's like, okay, what we need to do is we need to feed this film the types of metrics that the Facebook algorithm will then reward organic reach from. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, why don't we use influencers? And I said, okay, yeah, I want to use online influencers, but you got to remember the geographic footprint here is central Kentucky. So someone with 150,000 Instagram followers isn't necessarily going to help me, even if they're located in Lexington, Kentucky, because probably less than 5% of that is going to be Lexington, Kentucky people. So we identified a bunch of local, 43 actually local influencers who had some degree of an online audience. It was local, you know, shopping influencers and food bloggers and things like that. But then we also said, well, wait a minute, let's also think about people of who are influential, not necessarily online influencers, but who's influential in the community. And that was like the mayor, the president of the Urban League a popular local dentist, the music director at the local Presbyterian church who did a lot of music things throughout town. Um, It was, you know, people who had influence over the community, not necessarily online influencers. And then add a layer of influence marketing onto that. The day before we debuted the film on Facebook, we previewed it to the 10,000 University of Kentucky healthcare employees and said, hey, tomorrow we're launching this and we need your help. So what we were trying to do was get these three audiences of people, employees, online influencers, and influential people offline to all go and 
hit the three sort of buttons on the Facebook algorithm. Uh, recency, so we need you to go within this window of time after we launch the video. Relevance, so people in this geographic region who are connected to the types of people in this geographic region we want to reach. And resonance, we want you to engage with the content, watch the video, like it, comment on it, tell your UK healthcare story. And so by triangulating those three audiences to go do that all in the span of a few hours, I think it was within the first 24 hours, the video had 40,000 views. By the end of the first 30 days, it had over 800,000 views. Lexington, Kentucky only has a population of about 320,000 people. Wow. And, and so not only were we getting, did we accomplish the goal of getting that organic lift and that Facebook, you know, launch of that video, but we were asking people to share their story. So here we are capturing content that we then turned around and developed a microsite off of the UK healthcare site for other people to continue to tell their story about their dealings with the brand. What I love about this is this is clearly not what most people think of when they think of influencer marketing, but it is <laughs> indeed accomplishing the mission, right? By using the right people to take the right action at the right time, really, right? So, you know, one of the things that's probably going through the minds of a lot of people listening right now is, well, how do I even identify who has influence in order for me to be able to even do something like this? What's your thoughts on that? Sure. Instead of starting with the typical influencer marketing answer of, well, you have to use tools and they have databases and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, that's part of it. But you've got to take a couple steps back and say, okay, who am I trying to influence? What audience am I going after? That's kind of the number one rule of marketing, right? Who's your Who's your audience? So understand who your audience is really intimately so that you can answer the question of where do they get their information? Uh, where do they spend time online? Where do they spend time offline? Who influences them? And it might be, again, if you are a local business and your target audience is, let's say, soccer moms, then the president of the local PTA uh, might actually be your primary influencer. And that person may not have a, a drop of social media accounts mm -hmm. online, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to just ask, take yourself through that exercise of who influences this audience? Where do they get their information? How do they learn about products? How do they make product decisions? It might be, again, that it's, uh, you know, a local community group that's going to impact them. It might also be that it is a group of uh, content creators online that you know that that particular demographic goes to and, and creates content around. Um, depending upon, you know, the, the topic, uh, the vertical that you're in, uh, your geographic footprint, the answer is, always going to change. So you've got to walk yourself through that exercise of really understanding your audience enough to know where they get their information and what does influence them. And then you can start to say, okay, if it's online influencers, I need to find a bunch that fit this type of, of category. Then you can go get some of those database tools and solutions where you can put in some keywords and it'll spit back a list of influencers. But I would also caution you, when you get into the software world where you're looking at online influencers, those lists that they spit out are just, you know, a high level recommendation. You've still got to go through and read their content and understand, is this influential person actually going to move my audience to take action? Because a lot of followers doesn't necessarily mean they're going to convert a lot of customers. It just means they got a lot of followers. You've got to really get into their content and understand, okay, when they do sponsored content with other clients, 
Do they do that well? Is it really genuine? Is it motivational? Will it cause people to take action? Or are they just doing it to, you know, make sure their mortgage gets paid, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, move on to the next post? And anything in between, of course. So you've really got to be good at going in and assessing and prioritizing the influential people that you identify as potentially good from those tools so that you can really make that decision. And you'll do that better by, again, starting with who's the audience and who influences them. You know, back to the who am I trying to influence? Some people have no clue because maybe they're going to be approaching influencer slash influence marketing for the very first time, or maybe they're going to make assumptions that they're just like my customer or they're just like me. Is there an advantage to um, reaching out to consultants and agencies at this stage to help kind of make sure that this is accurate? Because I would imagine if you get this wrong, right, if your assumptions about where people spend their time and who influences them and all that is off, then the whole campaign kind of falls apart. Is that a fair assessment? That's a very fair assessment. You're going to spend a lot of money and not get a lot of return if you don't have it right on the front end. So building that strategy, doing that audience research, really understanding that audience, you know, any agency or consultant worth their salt will tell you, we have to start with research. We have to understand our audience. And so they'll ask you if you have any, and if you don't, they'll suggest, okay, let's spend some time and some resources trying to define those, you know, those getting those strategic insights out of data. You know, let's understand this audience so that we know the things that are going to answer the question of, well, who do we go after? Who are our influencers? You know, what what kind of content are they going to consume? How are we going to reach them? So you start out with that sort of strategic approach of understanding the audience and knowing what triggers you need to push to be able to persuade them to do something. And then, of course, you know, the agency beyond building a strategy, if you have a consultant or an agency partner, they're obviously going to help you develop the collateral and the creative. They're going to help you manage the outreach and the measurement and whatnot uh, all along the way. So I would definitely encourage you if you if you have any doubts, if you're uncertain, try to find a consultant, try to find an agency that can help you because they will at least point you in better directions than just rolling the dice and hoping you get it right the first time. What qualifying questions would you suggest somebody ask an agency or a consultant to make sure they truly know what the heck they're talking about? <laughs> That's a great question. So with with regard specifically to influence marketing, I would, you know, certainly ask them, you know, tell me about the influence marketing, you know, campaigns that you've run. Um, you know, what were the goals? What were the results? How did you identify the right influential people to partner with? And, and what were your qualifications? If they say, oh, well, we just wanted to do brand awareness. So we found all these people with a lot of followers online and we paid them to, you know, post content with our, our client's product. If that's as far as they go, they're probably not really worth their salt. What you want to hear from an answer like that is, well, our goal was to drive foot traffic in this particular business. And so we found the right local influencers who did really engaging content so that their audience was really you know, deeply invested in what they were doing. And we partnered with them to actually have them come into the retail business and you know, do a live stream video and post some pictures and really illustrate why it's going to be beneficial to their audience to come into. And what that equaled was we had, you know, 1,100 new people coming into the store over the course of three weeks using coupon codes that we gave specifically to that influencer to make sure that we were tracking exactly what type of impact they had. And it drove this much money. If someone explains something like that to you, go with that person. They know what they're doing. You mentioned that there were online database tools um, do you have any that you suggest or do you do you kind of shy away from them to try to like discern 
things about influencers? You know, do you generally not recommend them or what's your thoughts on that? No, I, I recommend them because it's a great place to sort of get ideas and get inspiration. What I what I do, though, is I tack on the recommendation that the tool is only as, as deep and as good as the user. So you really have to take the data that it gives you and analyze it and prioritize it and understand it. Because if you just go blindly and take the list of the top, you know, I, I deal in the, in the bourbon wine and uh, alcohol wine and spirits is a business a lot with bourbon brands. And so if I go to one of these tools, like Isaiah has a about $150 a month discovery tool as an entry price for them. Uh, and so if I subscribe to that and I type in bourbon and I just take the first 20 people it spits out, well, half of those people are food bloggers that have used bourbon in a recipe once two years ago. That's not necessarily going to help me if I want to reach people who talk about bourbon a lot. So you've got to be discerning about the information that it gives out because, again, you can pay for the tool all you want, but if the user isn't using the tool right, then you're not going to be happy with us, you get out of it. So I mentioned Isaiah has a, a what I would consider a lower priced, almost small business price discovery tool. They also have managed services that cost a lot more money where you basically say, here's my creative brief, go do it for me. And they do it for you. Um, there are other tools out there that you can look at. I like, there's one called Upfluence um, that has a, a pretty hefty price point. You're probably going to need to pay a few hundred uh, dollars a month to use it, but they have a free browser plugin where if you're on someone's Instagram account, you can click the little, you know, fly out tab and it will tell you a little bit about that influencer's audience. And so that's kind of their freemium teaser to say, we want you to use the tool. I think it limits you to like looking at 10 profiles a day or something like that. So there's limitations to it, but there's some freemium products out there that you can use that will at least get you started or point you in the right direction. Um, I just reviewed a new one called Dovetail, T-A-L-E, I believe, D-O-V-E-T-A-L-E. And they have a really nice database that helps you identify influencers. They're a little on the expensive side for small businesses. So it's more of a three or $400 a month entry point on that one. Uh, but there's tools out there that can help you. It's just a matter of searching for what fits your budget and your need. So I want to ask an outbound versus an inbound question. You know, some of the marketers listening right now get approached by people that claim to be influencers, right? And want to do a deal or they get approached by agencies that want to do a deal. How do they know whether or not, you know, from the marketer side of things, how do they know, or is most of it outbound? Like I go and I go directly to like, how does this business work? Is most of it, you know, the brand, the business reaching out to influencers, or is there a flip side of it where you've got people representing influencers or influencers themselves that are kind of going to brands trying to close deals? Sure. It, it's both, actually. So the smaller the influencer's audience, the more likely they are to, you know, reach out to you I and see. say, hey, I, I'd like to partner with your brand. Because, again, they're trying to build their business as an online content creator slash influencer. And so they're going to solicit that that kind of business. And then when they get, you know, a little bit bigger, you know, it might be that they stop, you know, doing the outreach themselves and they wait because more brands are coming to them because their audience has grown. And then when they get to a certain point, generally over 150, 200,000 followers on any given social network, they'll be approached by management you know, firms, kind of like agents to say, hey, yeah, let us handle the business end of things so you can just go create. Um, and so it, it scales upward from there. And at that point, you know, the brand is really doing the outreach because they covet the, the size audience that these people have. So what I would say to any business or brand that gets approached by an influencer, or if you approach an influencer um, 
and they're interested in working with you, it's the same questions you need to ask. I need to know that the money that I'm going to invest with this influencer is going to turn around, um, you know, some success. So I need to know here are the analytics, the metrics that I care about. Here's my goals. Here's what I want to do. I need that influencer to illustrate to me that they can help move that needle and show me some proof points from previous engagements they've had where they have, have done something like that so that I have confidence that my investment is not going to be a waste of money. There are plenty of, of people who are trying to be influential out there who are quote unquote influencers and they're trying to be influential, but they don't really have that engagement level where they persuade their audience to actually take action. So when you look at their previous engagements with brands and the previous things that they've been able to do with their audiences, you'll be able to see the ones who can move the needle on a business rather than just posting and hoping. Uh, because that's what the superficial ones that don't really have that good engagement do. They say, I'm going to post a picture of me with your product to my 200,000 followers. And if that's where they stop, then don't use that influencer because the ones who really know what they're doing are going to say, I'm going to post something really engaging about your product uh, to my 200,000 followers. And I'm going to ask them to visit your website and download this or purchase that, or I'm going to ask them to come to your store. So why don't you give me a unique coupon code so that we can track the metrics? Because I want you to know that I can move the needle for your business. Those are the ones you want to do business with because they realize that they have to prove their worth to you or you won't come back. And that repeat business is a lot easier for them to get than new new business. So the ones that say they can prove it and they, that show you they can are the ones you want to work with. From your perspective, working with the variety of clients you worked with in the agency space, what is the typical objective that a business has when they come to you, when it comes to influencer marketing? Like what's the range of typical objections, objectives that they're uh, saying, this is what we want to accomplish with this campaign? Sure. The low hanging fruit is is awareness. Right. And and so, again, the most popular or at least historically, the most popular influence marketing campaigns have been built around driving awareness. So I'm going to rent some space on this influencers feed where they have two hundred fifty thousand people and that's two hundred fifty thousand potential impressions that I can get for my brand. And so awareness is fine. And to be honest with you, the ones who have the big audiences who can drive a lot of impressions and a lot of reach might be worth your while and might be more cost effective than doing it in other paid media and advertising channels. So always consider that, you know, if, if all you want is awareness and you don't necessarily want them to motivate their audience to take action other than to know who you are, then those might be a good investment for you. But we're getting more granular and, and brands are getting more sophisticated and influencers are getting smarter about working with brands now and saying, okay, let's take it to a new level and let's track conversions. Let's track lead generation. Let's track how we can change the way people think about your product or service. So from a, you know, a public relations perception perspective, influencers can have a big impact there. I've got a case study in the book of a facilities management company in the United Kingdom who was, their reputation was a quote unquote mop and bucket company. And they wanted to change that perception so that they could become known as an innovator in facilities management. And so they did a report where they got a bunch of influential people in that space to give them quotes. Uh, and 
and, you know, filled this report kind of like a Michael Stilsner white paper with a bunch of really smart people from that industry being quoted in it. Well, what are those people going to do with that report? They're going to share it because they're quoted in it as an expert, right? So, and then they, they identified a few more to go to conferences and, you know, talk about the industry on their behalf and so on and so forth. Well, over the course of, you know, 18 months or so, they changed the perception of the company from mop and bucket to an innovator in the facilities management space. So there's lots of different sort of higher level nuances of objectives that are coming to the table now. And the really smart brands are finding really smart influencers who can have an impact uh, to drive those objectives. And that's where we're getting really sophisticated and strategic with influencer marketing these days. Have you ever heard of someone using influencers to become an influencer themselves. Do you understand where I'm going with that? To get an influencer to shout out a human instead of a brand with the goal that that will grow that influencer, influencers cachet so they can ultimately be independent of other influencers. You mean like Mike Stilsner approaching me to get to speak at Blog World in 2009? Yeah, I know some case studies of that. (laughs) (laughs) Outside of me, of course. But I mean, I guess this is where I'm going with this. Like, what if a brand had an amazing personality in-house, right? Or what if it's the founder? Sometimes it is for the smaller business, right? And they really want to get that person out there so that that person can develop his or her own influence. I would imagine that could be a very effective kind of one-two punch, right? To get other influencers to recommend a human feels a little less influencer marketing, doesn't it? It is, and it happens a lot. You're starting to see a new category of influencers emerge, especially in the B2B space, but I think also in the B2C space, of people who are influential because of the company that they work for. Mm -hmm. And it's because companies are starting to realize, let's empower our employees to be representatives of the company online. Great example that I've, I've had on my show and talked to before is Ronnie Mani with Adobe. Ronnie Mani would probably be influential in the customer engagement, customer service, influence marketing space if she w- didn't work at Adobe. But she became a really big known name in the industry because she works at Adobe, because she's at this big brand that everybody sort of covets being able to work with and know about and so on and so forth. And so I've got another case study in the book, actually, that's kind of parallel to this. A friend of mine named Mark Meyer was working with a B2B company once upon a time, and he was not satisfied with the engagement that they were getting on Twitter. And so what he did is he looked at how the influential people in their space were behaving, and he realized they're posting more images. They're posting at all hours of the day and night, not just nine to five. They're tagging other influencers in their posts. And so what he did from the corporate account was he started behaving on Twitter like the influential people in that space behaved. And over the course of a year or so, the actual company started falling in on these influencer lists. Here's the most influential, quote unquote, people in this particular industry. And the company was like number six or number 10 or whatever. And it was because he started behaving, the the Twitter account started behaving like other influencers. And so they eventually became influential. I actually looked at all top Guy Kawasaki's, you know, sort of RSS feed thing. I went to their category and they were the number six most trusted or on the list of influential blogs or or publications in that category, that company was number six and all the people above it were all individual bloggers. Now, some people are like, how in the world, you mentioned earlier that some influences are going to provide a call to action that's trackable, but some of this, so much of this is not trackable. So how in the world do you actually know it's working? 
Well, this is not just true for influence marketing. It's true for any type of marketing. You have to plan to measure. When you are starting to build your strategy and and define your goals, and that's actually what you start with. What is our goal and how are we going to capture information that tells us we are getting close to accomplishing that goal or making progress along that continuum? And so I like to tell people, if you don't plan to measure and set those data traps along the way, it's kind of like getting to the end of the driveway to go on vacation and turning to your family and saying, okay, where are we going? Right. right. You haven't packed. You haven't bought tickets. You haven't accounted for the pets, et cetera. You've got to start out by saying, all right, we are going to try to accomplish a goal of driving more foot traffic or, you know, driving more sales or getting more leads or raising awareness or changing our reputation. OK, now, how are we going to measure that? Well, the first thing you'd have to do is you have to benchmark the start. What are our sales now? What's our reputation now? How many leads are we getting now? Right. I love that. So you have a comparison, right? Exactly. You've got a comparison because if you get to the end and say, well, we drove 100 sales. Well, well, how did that compare to when we started? Well, we don't know. We didn't measure it. Yeah, because if you had drove 100 sales in the same period before, then there might be no corollary, right? Exactly. You, if, if, if it was 100 then and it's 100 now, you didn't change anything. You just you spent your activity doing something different. Right. So you've got to be able to benchmark on the front end. And this is especially true for the branding and awareness and, and reputation things. You've got to do surveys. You've got to do net promoter scores. You've got to do maybe some social listening to see how many people are talking about us now so that at the end of six months, a year, whatever, you measure it again and say, wow, the number of people talking about us has increased 212%. This thing must be working, right? So you've got to set those data traps based on your goals. And then I would also tell people there are lots of KPIs, key performance indicators out there. So if you're measuring branding and awareness, your key performance indicators are things like your reach, the impressions, video views, maybe even the engagement numbers on social posts, et cetera. But there's really only, there's one KPI that you're going to circle as what I call the PI, not the KPI, the PI. And that's the one thing that you care about the most. If it is a branding and awareness play, the one thing you care about most is is how many people, how many more people are aware of us at the end of this than were aware of us at the front end. And you measure that by maybe it's surveys, maybe it's social listening to see how many people are mentioning you. But there's one performance indicator that is the performance indicator you care about. The rest of them indicate you're doing well or indicate what your progress is toward that goal. But ultimately, the number of comments that you drive doesn't matter if more people aren't aware of who you are. So keep in mind, there's one thing you care about and there's a bunch of other key performance indicators that sort of help tell you you're going in the right direction. And folks, since Jason said I'm an influencer, let me do a little influencing. (laughs) I strongly recommend you go get his brand new book, Winfluence. He is an absolutely spectacular writer and I'm blown away with how good it is. It's, It's really, really, really good. And I'm not saying this because Jason and I go way back. I'm saying it because it's good. Now, Jason, where do you want them to go get the book? And if they want to track you down, where do you want to send them? So the book is most easily found at winfluencebook.com. That takes you to my website where you can choose to get it from Barnes Noble or Amazon or even Entrepreneur Press, my publisher. Um, So winfluencebook.com is the 
the place to go to get the book. If you want to find me, I'm Jason Falls everywhere on all the social networks, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, would love to connect. Would love for you to follow me. Um, and of course, the uh, Winfluence, the Influence Marketing Podcast is a great listen. Uh, it's about a 30-minute interview show twice a week. And I really get in deep with people in the influence marketing space so that they can um, you know, sort of understand this world a little bit better and so the listeners can understand this world a little bit better. Jason Falls, thank you so much for sharing all the depth of your wisdom today with us. We're better because of it. Michael, thank you so much for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash four five zero. If you're new to this show, hit that subscribe button. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.